Park Church, good morning. I'm Joe Jackson. I serve as worship leader, and uh, I just want to welcome everyone to our service. It's a privilege that we can, for some of us, be outdoors together, and for those who will be joining online, we're thankful that you're here as well. Um, our aim today is to proclaim the glories of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has come to save sinners. So every aspect of our service this morning, the songs that we sing um, the time that we'll take to confess and to find assurance in Jesus Christ, even as the word is preached and as we participate in the Lord's Supper. Um, our aim is to cast our eyes and our hearts on the Lord Jesus Christ. I found great encouragement this week in the book of Isaiah. And we are going to use Isaiah 43, the first three verses, um, as our call to worship. So hear this exhortation, these words from the Lord. You can find these uh, in the bulletin. If you don't have a printed bulletin, you can find it on the web website, trinityparkchurch.org, and just scroll down a bit. You'll see the songs and all of the bulletin there. So chapter 43, it really functions as almost a turning point in the book of Isaiah. God has just described the consequences of Israel's disobedience. And then we find these words in the beginning of chapter 43 where God extends comfort to his exiled people. And he's actually reminding them of his character. So hear these words, Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So brothers and sisters, let's sing this morning to our Creator, our Savior, our Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I want to invite you now, if you're able to, to go ahead and stand, and let's pray together as we begin to sing. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you this morning for the comfort that you extend to us as children of God. Lord God, when we pass through deep waters, we will not be overwhelmed. And even when we walk through the fires of life, we will not be consumed because you are the Holy One of Israel, whose compassions fail not and whose faithfulness endures forever. Amen. Let's lift our voices as we sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy Faithfulness, O God my Father. 
I see. Great is thy faithfulness. We do honor you today, Lord, as the one who is truly faithful. And we're thankful that you invite us into fellowship with you.
broken and betrayed. You are the faithful one, and from the garden to the grave, bind us together, O Lord. about being a Christian, actually what defines being a Christian, is that we are not shaped, we are not defined by what we do, or how we respond, or what we think about a given situation, what we think about a given election. We're not shaped by that, we're not defined by that, we are shaped and defined by what has been done for us already, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, through the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in times like this when it feels like the world is changing and shifting and uh, there's just a lot going on this is a really important time for us to anchor ourselves in a fresh way in the gospel and in the creeds that we've confessed for centuries as Christians and so I've been spending a lot of time personally going back and looking at you know, obviously the scriptures themselves and going back and looking at the Puritans going back and looking at the ancient writings of our faith because even though 2020 feels very visceral and it's right now and it's happening all around us we're defined by who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us so please join me in this corporate confession of faith which is uh, taken today from the Nicene Creed we typically do this on Sundays when we're taking the Lord's Supper together which we're doing later today so join me with one voice confessing the Nicene Creed right where you are. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate 
He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and is glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Take a few moments to silently contemplate for yourselves how these words define who you are as a Christian. Anchor yourselves in the fresh beauty and the truth of the gospel. And then I will assure you from God's pardoning grace in just a moment. The assurance of grace, of pardoning grace, is taken today from Psalm 62, 6 through 8. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. At this time, we will take up the offering. Uh, you can take, you can actually give it in person. We have a basket over here by the children's table, or we can give it in person if you're here today, uh, or you can give online, which is the main way. Obviously, people are giving right now. You can go on our website, trinityparkchurch.org, click give. Thank you for your generosity. We appreciate the way that you're supporting the worship and work of the church during this time. Thank you. Let's continue as we worship God, singing of how Christ is the one who holds us fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. I invite you to stand as we sing. When I fear my faith would fail, Christ will hold me fast when the tempter would prevail. He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold.
Church. My name is Andy Yu. I am uh, one of the pastors here at this church. And I'd like to um, take a brief moment here to quickly um, update you on, on some of the work of the outreach team so far. And, um, you know, there are many, many aspects that I can talk about, but I just want to go ahead and, and uh, highlight three things that are happening or will happen. Um, first up, or have happened, basically. So, first, uh, Corral Riding Ministry. So a group of uh, 25 of us yesterday, um, uh, adults, children, and youth all come together to serve at Corral Riding Ministry up here at uh, Kildare Farm. And uh, if you're not familiar with the work of Corral Riding, um, basically it's a ministry that works with uh, troubled teenage girls. Um, by providing equine therapy so they work with horses and these horses are rescue horses too so they pair them with these troubled uh, teenage girls uh, as a way of therapy and uh, to continue to help them as well with their their work and to give them basically a foothold in this life and uh, so we uh, as Trinity Park Church had the privilege of coming to support them um, by you know by having a service work day. Basically, we went over to their farm to uh, help beautify the place, to keep the ministry going. And uh, Pastor Drew and his crew, a shout out to him and his crew who, uh, of teenagers who uh, came together to volunteer to scoop poop, basically. So great job in that. And, uh, and the rest of us were basically just, you know, mulching and, and talking. So basically, yeah, so there was a great opportunity. And also we We've learned a lot about this ministry and the importance of, of the work that they're doing, and we hope to continue to work with them to support them in whatever ways that we can. And so that's Corral. And then uh, secondly, I'm gonna talk a bit about evangelism. So um, be sure to look out in your email in the next week or so that I'll be sending out an email to all of you um, tagging two uh, training videos that we did on evangelism. So basically, Rachel Gardner, who is passionate about evangelism, one-on-one -on -one evangelism, has helped us to produce two training videos on how to share the gospel with your friends, with your family members. Uh, there's sort of two videos. The first video is how to share your gospel with a bridge diagram. So I don't know if you know how to do that, but it's uh, pretty insightful. And so can learn more about that through the video. And the second is how to share your faith with stories, with your own stories. And so these are two ways that uh, are, there are many other ways that you can do evangelism one-on-one, -on -one, but I think these are two ways that are pretty effective. So, you know, have a look at the video when it's ready and, and as I send it to you, and I hope that this will be an important tool for you in your own personal evangelism with your friends and family members. And the third thing is, you know, this is 
somewhat in the distance future, but I'm excited to talk about this too. Um, as you know, as many of you know that we are actually moving our church to this new location. So we've signed a lease uh, at, at Northwest, Northwest Maynard. And, and part of what we've been thinking about in the uh, outreach ministry is how can we effectively, you know, be a presence in the community around our church, around this new location. And I've got in contact with uh, Northwoods Elementary School a few days ago and talked to the school counselor uh, and formed some sort of a partnership with them where we can come alongside them, hopefully when we have our building and hopefully when COVID is in control, to offer things like backpack buddies to help uh, with tutoring and whatever and other means, you know, to come alongside them as well. So we haven't really uh, worked on all the details yet, but there are things in progress right now where we've established a relationship with them and they're super excited for us to move into their neighborhood too. Because part of having this new building too is to be able to use that building to serve the community. And through that conversation with Northwood Elementary, we also, I also have been in contact with uh, this organization called Read and Feed, where they work with students from all around Wake County, identifying students who are failing and to bring them together um, through a facility to feed them and to tutor them. And the good thing about this is they will need a presence, a place to be able to host this. And our church definitely can be a facility for that in a way that we're attracting people to the church to be able to use that facility outside of Sunday morning. And so I'm super excited about this. And you can be praying about this opportunity and many other opportunities that we're exploring as well. You know, one of the things about COVID is that it's super hard to do ministry in general. And so we're continuously trying to find ways to do that. And if you know of any other ways so that we can continue to serve the community, please uh, come talk to me. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Let's pray. Please pray along with me. Lord God, we thank you that this morning your word assures us that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, we thank you that no matter who was living in the White House, you are living in the heavenly place of rule, seated on your sovereign throne of grace. We thank you that though we walk through the wilderness, we know we are walking toward our home in the new heavens and the new earth where you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Lord, we thank you that in our weariness, you, the Lord of all, have revealed yourself to us to be a friend of the broken, to be a gentle and lowly Lord. You delight for us to come to you to give you our heavy burdens and to take on your burden of grace that is light. Lord, we confess we are a people who carry burdens today, and we desire desperately to bring them to you so that you would carry them for us. Teach us to know what is our responsibility, and teach us to know what is your responsibility. Lord, ultimately, you are far more capable and responsible times infinity than we possibly ever could be. Lord, the reality is we carry burdens in our hearts because we overextend the, the degree to which we believe we can exert influence and control in this world. You are sovereign. You are mighty. 
you are good and you do good. And help us to put our trust and our hope in you. Lord, no matter what our experience has been in 2020, we are reminded that you are the Lord. And what kind of a Lord are you? Though you are sovereign, the creator and sustainer of the universe, you reveal yourself to us as, in Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and sin. Oh God, we marvel in the gospel that even though we are sinners, you are sovereign merciful and gracious and forgiving you are our savior lord in this moment in our nation and world that seems so significant and indeed it is we take a moment to see this election and the state of our nation from the vantage point of your scriptures you are the true king you created all authorities you are supreme in all things so no matter how we feel about the results of the election, we can put our trust in you. You are not just a God who is transcendent, but is also eminently present with your people. And so we pray for our nation at this time. We pray for President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, who have been elected as President and Vice President of the United States. And we pray for the other officials who have been elected and are still being elected for Congress. We pray for our Supreme Court justices. We pray for our governor, Roy Cooper, and for all the other officials elected up and down the ballot in our state. We pray for justice and fairness to be very clear to us and to all people as ballots are recounted in some states, as legal challenges are made by some, by the president, but God, after the results are finalized, whatever may come, I pray that we would be able to, as we have in the past, so we would do in the future, lift up our hands in prayer for kings and those in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, as it says in 1 Timothy 2, 2. I pray according to Colossians 1 and Romans 13, 2 through 3, believing that no one is in these positions on their own, but there is no authority except from God. And those who exist have been instituted by God, knowing that whoever resists the authorities resists those God has appointed. So Lord, we thank you that we live in a country where we can have a voice about who our leaders will be. I pray that we will live such good lives among those who do not know you, that they will see our good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Lord, let us not descend into the worldly fray. Let us rise above the vitriol and anger to respect our leaders and love our neighbors. We pray, especially in the church, that we will not split into subgroups based on political preferences, but we will do the hard work of loving those with whom we disagree. We say at Trinity Park, politics will never be the central identity of this church. So let us now show one another in real life and show the world that Christ Jesus and the gospel indeed is our central and only identity. 
Lord, I pray that we would be a church where we hold the gospel for all people to be our number one value. I pray we would truly be a church who looks to the scriptures as our only rule of faith and practice. And where we stray from those main tenets personally or as a church, we pray we would be convicted and would quickly return to you in repentance. We thank you that you are a God who loves to give and loves to restore. But may Trinity Park Church evermore be a church that is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ revealed to us in the scriptures. May your gospel and your word evermore be clearly our singular defining passion. Lord, we pray today, we pray for Tammy Kuhn as she mourns the loss of her mother. We pray for her as she recovers from foot surgery. We pray for total healing for her foot, which has hurt her for so long. We pray for others among us who are experiencing deep sadness and loss. In particular, we pray for one family in our church who has had a miscarriage this past week. Lord, we pray that you, as you promise to comfort those who mourn, we pray that you would comfort this family. Lord, we also thank you for the good news of the birth of Harrison Bond, grandson to Greg and Beth Peterson. We thank you that mom and baby are healthy and are doing well. And as we pray for ourselves and our country, we also remember that we, brothers and sisters in the United States, are not even close to being the full representation of your global church. Lord, we thank you for those who suffer even now and are persecuted for their faith. I thank you for my brother in China who shared with me this week that for a year he has been carrying a bag with him full of clothes and toiletry items, not knowing when he will be arrested and taken to prison. Lord, may we keep perspective. May we keep perspective on what we struggle with. Lord, our struggles are real, but the struggles of the global church have been present with us since the very beginning and will continue on. We will walk through the wilderness together into the new heavens and the new earth. And so may we pray and may we stand in solidarity, not letting the perils of the day disunite us. May we instead evermore be focused on the gospel and on the kingdom that is coming, that is to come, that is indeed already present through the rule and reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for the preaching of your word today. We thank you that we get to sit under your word in a free country. We thank you for that privilege. We pray that we would be convicted with the message of your word and be drawn toward the gentle and lowly Savior, our beloved Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Trinity Park. My name is Charity Starchenko. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed to me, have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, 
and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Try that again with my mic on. Good morning. Uh, it is a privilege and a pleasure to be able to come and consider God's word together. Um, as we do that, we're making a little bit of a transition from where we had been working through the book of Acts. And uh, honestly, I think it's just a good idea to pause for a second. Not because we're trying to escape anything in the book of Acts, but just because in a moment when things are going just good and right, a deep breath, consider the goodness of our Savior, and rest for love in his mercy and in his accessibility. So of course, the election and its consequences and so many other things are on everyone's mind. I mean, not even just to mention all of, you know, the usual challenges and needs of life. And so in this moment, we're not pausing in order to shut off our concerns or the things that weigh heavily on us or our thoughts about culture or community or anything else, but rather so that we might turn our eyes towards Christ and take all of those things and submit them once again at the throne of our Savior. And so please pray with me briefly now. Lord God, we thank you that you are our King. We thank you and praise you that you are a Savior who is gentle and lowly. We thank you that you don't ask us to be anything other than what we are. And that it is there, even in those places which we might not like to admit, even to ourselves, that you meet us most fully. We thank you for these things, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So in this series, what we're going to be doing is working through, um, not this book itself, but drawing largely on this book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Um, the subtitle is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Um, I'd encourage you to pick up a copy if you'd, um, well, just to pick up a copy. It's just good. And it's just a sweet reflection on who Jesus is to meet us in this moment. Um, and within that, that's a kind of an important emphasis and one that he draws out a lot. It's not a reflection on what Jesus has done, though of course that is always important. But in this moment, it's a reflection of who Jesus is, what his character was like, what his personality was like, and why that was important. Um, I'm going to roll through some of the big ideas just to set the idea of the series that we're going into and to, again, set the foundation of who Jesus is that we, we serve, who we humble ourselves before, and who we listen to. Um, the book begins saying on pages 17 through 18, um, Ortland points out, he says, My dad pointed out to me something that Charles Spurgeon pointed out to him. 
in the four gospel accounts given to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 89 chapters of biblical text, there's only one place where Jesus tells us about his own heart. And it's what we're going to be studying here from Matthew 11, 28 through 30, where he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, lest we start thinking that Jesus is just a guy who does not challenge and brings no confrontation, but is only interested in just softness and fluffiness, um, Ortland goes on to point out that this is not a wimpy gospel. This is not a wimpy Jesus. He says this is not... This is not who he is to everyone indiscriminately. This is who he is for those who come to him, who take his yoke upon them, who cried to him for help. The paragraph before these words from Jesus gives us a picture of how Jesus handles the impenitent. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Gentle and lowly does not mean mushy and frothy. Rather, the Savior that we have is one who is accessible, who is reachable, who is careful in how he handles those of us who, he, who are his. And what I want to consider this morning is this question of why. Why is that the people group to whom he is coming? And I'd say, it, you know, you don't clean something unless it's dirty. We, we need this. We need a Savior who is gentle and lowly. We need someone who is approachable and who is careful with who we are, who is accessible to us. Because we are lost and broken. As Ortland identifies in this book very clearly for us, we are sufferers and sinners. It's a little bit further on in the text that when we, despite our smiles and civilities, we could, building our own kingdom, and loving our own glory, lapping up the fraudulent pleasures of the world, repulsed by the beauty of God, and shutting up our hearts at his calls to come home. It was then, in the hollowed-out horror of that result, revolting existence, that the Prince of Heaven stooped down. This is who Jesus is. When God created us, he created us beautifully. He created us even in his image. In Genesis 31, it tells us that God created us even very good. And yet, in our desire for our own kingdoms, in our desires to build ourselves in spite of who he is, we broke that image within us and we crashed into the depths of our own individual kingdom-building depravity. We are rebels against him. Our hearts seek ourselves first above anything else. And then God, unwilling to leave us in that place, became the person Jesus so that he might live an unsinful experience on our behalf and give us the fullness of who he is being the unsinful, the perfect substitute for us in Jesus Christ. That's why we were able to confess what we were in the Nicene Creed earlier. And I just want to come back to that for a minute again because it is so beautiful and so powerful where it says, For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. 
He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. This is who Jesus is on our behalf. He's the one who enters into our story in our brokenness and brings us home again. So the call that we have is the very thing that Jesus issues out where he says, come to me. Come to me. So the question that I want to ask and answer through our text this morning is, who are these sinners and sufferers that Jesus has come for? Who are we that the Savior that we need meets us like the corresponding puzzle piece of our sin so that the one that we need is gentle and lowly? What does it mean to be sinners and sufferers? Well, if you look again with me at the text, either just looking down in the... um, bulletin or scrolling back to it on your phone or even just opening up your Bibles in front of you. We're going to look through this section this morning and seek to see how Jesus himself would answer that on our behalf. We're going to begin with verses 25 through 27 where Jesus says, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. The first thing that it means to be sufferers and sinners is that we are little children. To give a little bit more context from this, I want to back up to verses 20 um, and following where Jesus is pointing out many of the cities where he had done miracles, where he had sent disciples to be able to talk about who he was and what he has done. And he denounces them and he tears them down. Because he says um, in verse 20, Then he began to denounce the cities where, he was most mi- where his most mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more, more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. The children that Jesus is addressing here are those who don't pretend that they have all the right answers yet. They're the ones who meet Jesus and meet his miracles and stand saying, yes, I need you. Who lay down all the things that they would have on their own and subject everything to this person of Jesus so that he himself might be their foundation and might be their cornerstone. We see these same kinds of words and these same ideas echoed in the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, If you'll flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 20, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 20 through 25, we'll see this built out even a little bit further. Where Paul says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. You see, God is coming not to build up those who already have their own foundation. But Jesus is coming to say, I need to be your foundation. Because you do not have a foundation that can last. And this is not just a rebuke to stick it to the people around him. This is an invitation because he sees that the foundation that these people would stand on outside of him will not hold them. He's saying, you need me. I'm coming bearing you, offering to you the very thing which you are in most dire need of. He's asking them to blind their eyes to their own foundation and look to him as little children. Um, those of you who might have little children, um, I've got several. One of the games that we frequently play in my family, much to my challenge, is they love to say, close your eyes, Daddy. And then they'll take my hands, and then you guys know those. Um, they then lead me, not so faithfully or carefully, but often into walls, into doors, into chairs, into all the kinds of things that we can stumble over. And it's kind of a ridiculous move for me to go, all right, kids, let's go. That, that's the humor in the game. Um, but this is kind of what Jesus asks of us, but not because he's going to bonk us into walls. Um, another way to consider this, uh, for several years, my wife and I had the privilege of living near the mountains in Colorado. And we would go out snowboarding basically every opportunity we would get. We would love to have people come visit us because if they were going to come visit us, that was great. Um, but the condition was they needed to then um, take us to the mountains to go snowboarding. Yeah, pretty well. We had a lot of guests. Um, but one of my favorite things was on the lifts, occasionally you'd see um, a line of three people, um, a person on either side holding a stick between them, and then coming down between them would be a person holding onto that stick. And it was fascinating because even in the, the Rockies, there would be blind people skiing down the slopes. And it was incredible to see because these people had to give so much confidence and so much trust to the people on either side of them, to the pole that they were holding, because they couldn't trust their own full senses because they were missing one of the major ones, especially one of the ones that you need as you are hurtling down the mountain. And these people would not necessarily go very slowly. Those on either side would be calling out to them what was coming up. Um, the different slopes, the angles, the hill, and they'd be holding them on this bar. And as fast as the guides would go, then the person who was holding the bar would follow. And as he wanted to go faster, he would call out and they would increase. And as he got nervous, he'd pull back and they would decrease. But there was this level of confidence because they were recognizing they didn't have what they needed to do this on their own. And similarly, little children are not standing on their own wisdom in life. They may be building their wisdom, 
And we'll continue to talk about that in a minute. But the foundation is that they haven't got it. And so for us to begin with from this, as we consider Jesus gentle and lowly, and as we consider what it means for us to be sinners and sufferers before him, man, it means we have to stop pretending that we have all the right answers. And let me say this a little bit differently. It means we are freed from pretending that we have all of the right answers. And it frees us actually to stand humbly as children before Christ. This frees us to set aside our own sight, and it frees us to set our sight upon Him. So let me invite you, as we consider the humble and lowly Savior, free your heart by looking to Him, by coming to Him. Answer His call saying, Come to me, all you. And come to Him. Set aside your own foundation. Set aside your own sight. Humble yourself before him. And then here's the invitation. It's not then to sit down where you are and stop. But trusting the guides that you have, the call is to then fly down the mountain. Fly into the conversations in your families. Fly into your community around you. Fly into the relationships with your neighbors based upon his wisdom, based upon his mercy, based upon his goodness, because you can abandon your own and say, yeah, I cannot make it on my own. And I have been freed to follow the one who will lead me faithfully down the mountain, who will lead me faithfully into whatever arena he puts upon your heart. Because we are sufferers and sinners. We are little children before him. And brothers and sisters, that is a beautiful thing. That is an invitational thing. If you hear that and it hits you as a challenge, don't react just defensively. Rather, let me encourage you to pause and consider. Be invited to humble yourself before the Savior. Um, secondly, Jesus speaks in verse 28 to those who, are, who labor and are heavy laden. He says in verse 27, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. second things that it means to be sinners and sufferers before him are that we confess the ways that we labor and are heavy laden, that we are worn out striving for our own salvation and our own way. This is important because we often forget this. We often can be fooled into thinking that just because we know Jesus, just because we go to church, just because we're part of a Christian community, now, okay, it's on me. I got this. I can go. Now I will build my foundation. Now I will polish myself up. Now I will get everything in line. And Jesus says, no, stop. Jesus refuses to have his strength be confused for the strength of men. And he says instead, lay those things aside and I will give you rest. And for support of this, I love to turn to the well-worn pages of Romans 
um, chapter 6, verse 23, where it says boldly and clearly, for the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I think we can forget this. The wages of sin is death, and that is true ultimately and eternally, but also let me remind you, the wages of sin now is death now. You may be able to accomplish a little bit of your own foundation by trying to build it yourself. You may be able to meet some immediate comforting needs, but those will not carry you. And even in this world, even in this life now, you will find nothing as the fruit of your labors but death. As soon as the distraction wears off, as soon as the escape evades you, as soon as the numbing kind of fades away, you are left again with nothing but death. And that is exhausting. We see that time and time and time again as our own efforts start to fail us. Um, There's a movie, well, a book that I love called The Help. Um, In it, there's this epic striving and this pitting of a person who has power around her against one who doesn't and a people group around her who doesn't. And this particular woman, Tilly, is constantly striving to establish her own way to um, force people to do what she wants. And the truth is, she, she pretty much wins. But there's this moment of confrontation between her and kind of the, the, the main voice which she is pushing back against. And this other woman looks at her in this moment of defeat. And she looks at Miss Hilly and she says, Ain't you tired? Aren't you tired? Isn't this exhausting? Sure, you're winning, but at what cost? Would it not be better to lay this down and confess the ways that you are wrong and stand instead on a different foundation? And Jesus himself pours this out saying, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of getting your own way? Don't you see the weight that your own way layers and layers upon you? Coming to him as sinners and sufferers means that we are given rest from having to strive any longer. Again, this does not mean that we stop having plans, that we stop forming our opinions. Rather, what this does mean is that we're able to stop having to be right and that we are freed instead to be humble before our Savior and be in a position of growing and be in a position of process and movement before him where we can own our sin And we can say, no, I am not the one who is right. Rather, I am striving to follow the one who is right. And so I will often be wrong. And that is okay. Because I serve a king who never is. This means that our identity is freed from whether our team, our party, our opinions, our own positions wins or loses. But we are freed rather to stand and have our identity inseparably tied to Jesus Christ and his victory. I know he has not come back yet, and we still stand in this moment of waiting. But even now, as he speaks to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, 
I'm always hesitant to get too far into Revelation, but I love, and we can draw such strength here from Jesus' introduction to himself. This is who Jesus is now. This is how Jesus speaks to the apostle John as he cries out to him and meets him before the rest of the Revelation. So we can get into the rest of the Revelation another time. You're welcome to keep studying it, reading it, and working all that out yourselves. But first, John is met with who Jesus is in this moment. And he makes this epic claim. He says, When I saw him, Jesus, I fell at his feet as though one dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, and this is what he says to all of us and where we can stand now even. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. He holds the keys of death and hell. He was there at the beginning. He will be there at the very end and he has told us his kingdom will be built and will be accomplished and we can stand in that. You are freed from your own opinions. You are freed from the winning of your party. You are freed from the losing of your party. You are freed from everything else and grounded, liberated, secured in the love and the victory of Jesus. And this, brothers and sisters, anchors us so much more deeply than anything else we could ever look towards. And so finally, what Jesus points out in verses 20 through 29 of chapter 11 here is where he says take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and now, the truth is, as we stand in these moments, oftentimes it does not feel like things are light or easy. Our prosperity does not directly come from immediately just choosing to follow God, and suddenly my bank account is padded, all my problems are solved, everything's just simple, and if I just pray or believe a little bit more, then everything good is going to come my way. Rather, we stand in this moment of tension of the knowing that Jesus has secured this victory for us, and yet we live here and now in this life. And actually, again, far from telling us we should no longer struggle, this is where Jesus speaks into our hearts and says, in you my spirit is at work. In you I will lead you forward. Not of your own efforts. Again, Jesus here refuses to let his strength be confused with the strength of men. But based upon his efforts alone, because once more we are sinners and we are sufferers. We do not have that strength on our own. And the Apostle Paul, again, in the book of Romans, speaks to this so clearly in chapter 7. Um, if you can flip over there with me, verses 15 through 19, and again in verses 24 through 25, where he illustrates his struggle, saying, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. That is the experience of life on our own strength. 
And Jesus draws us forth from that. Paul cries out so epically and beautifully as he closes out the section. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In other conversations with our worship leader, um, Joe Jackson, he's pointed out to me and I think to us several times just the power of Psalm 77 to him. The power of Psalm 77 lies much earlier in the book of Exodus where the people who had been enslaved in Israel for over 400 years are brought out, they're led in freedom, and they're striking out towards a land that is promised to them. And then suddenly Pharaoh looks up and goes, oh no, what have I done? All the other nations are going to see that I'm weak. And he says, all right, let's go. He grabs his generals. They load up their chariots. And they come charging out. Now the people of God, Israel, has made it a ways. They've made it all the way up to the Red Sea. And there they're camped. And they look up and they see the clouds of dust of the chariots and the horses and the warriors coming towards them. And they're pinned. There is no escape north, south, east, or west. They are now sitting in the midst of a killing field. And there is nowhere to go. And they turn and they look at Moses. Chapter 14 of Exodus, verse 11 says, um, They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we might serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Sometimes, our freedom in Christ, sometimes our identity in Christ, sometimes following God will strip us of all of our strength. And that is scary, and it is terrifying, and it is good. Because in that moment, we have nothing left to stand on except what Jesus offers when he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me, little children. Come to me, you who are weak, you who are struggling, you sufferers and sinners because I will give you rest. Moses, speaking through the Spirit to the people, says to them, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. You see, this desperation that we have is the very thing that qualifies us. We are called by Jesus to despair of our own strength so that we might look his clearly in the eye and stand only upon it because we are weak. We are sufferers. We are sinners. Oh yeah, let us not forget. Back to Psalm 77, written hundreds of years later. Where the psalmist in his own trouble, which we don't have the specifics for, cries out, laments, even questions, God, where are you? Have your promises come to an end? Has your faithfulness stopped? Has your steadfast love forever ceased? And he says in 77 verse 10, Then I said, I will appear to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. A little further on, he says, When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. 
The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Because you see, as the Israelites stood in those killing fields, God split the water in a path they never could have anticipated. And not only did they walk through, but then the Egyptian armies, as they pursued them, also walked through. And then the waters crashed down on top of them and wiped them away. Not only saving the people from calamity, but then obliterating the threat that hung over them. And the psalmist says, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. So in identifying us as sufferers and sinners, as little children, as those who are heavy laden, as those who are exhausted and worn out as laborers, Is God asking us to despair? Well, truthfully, yes. He's saying that the people to whom he has come, those whom he has the antidote for their sickness, are those who have despaired of their own strength and who stand at the edge of the sea looking only to him to surround them, to anchor them, and to call them home. You see, our text tells us once again come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We are sinners and sufferers. But God in Jesus stoops down to meet us where we are. And all we have to do is come to him. Now there's a real possibility that as you can humble your heart before God, This might be the first time you're facing this message of God's goodness as we are weak. The call to this is to listen to that invitation. Come to him. Take up his yoke. Learn from him. Because there you will find rest for your souls. Now, maybe you're in the opposite camp, and you've heard this this sermon 10,000 times before, and you've stood in this message, and you've considered it over and over and over again, and you might think, why do I need this again? Well, listen, because you are a sinner and you are a sufferer. And the message that we need at the very beginning of our walk of faith is the same message that we need every step along the way of our walk of faith. So if you've heard this for the first time or for the 10,000th time, again, regardless, come to him because he will give you rest for your soul. Um, This morning we're coming to the Lord's table, to this act of communion, to this very moment where we say our flesh, our body, our soul, our efforts are not enough. But instead, we have to depend on the efforts of another, on Jesus Christ. The full embodiment of him coming to provide all of what we need is signed and sealed here in this moment. Because as we take in his body, we are saying mine can't do it. 
as we are taking in his blood, we are saying it is only by his covenant, God's promised faithfulness to us, that we have any hope and any foundation before him. And so as we do this, it is only good and right that we would pause and that we would humble ourselves again saying, I am a sufferer. I am a sinner. I do need this. I need a savior, a savior who is gentle and lowly because I am one who is broken down. And so if this is you this morning, consider, reflect, think through, evaluate your heart before God. And come to his table and take this. If this is not where you are and this is not um, a confession you are ready to make, it would not be right for you to take the Lord's Supper here. Um, Rather, I would invite you instead to consider the truth of this, to consider his words, to consider what he offers us here, gentle and lowly, and take him instead this morning. Any of us who have helped to lead here, any of the elders, any of the officers, the deacons, or the pastors Um, would be happy to talk with you and to pray with you after this service. But in this moment, once again, consider the words of our text and take this as a time to come truly to Jesus. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to call up our distributors who will distribute the elements, um, this tiny cup, and... uh, We're then going to have Joe lead us in song as we prepare our hearts. Um, And then we'll take the elements together. But as we sing that song, please wait and hold on to them um, until we meet up afterwards. But pray with me now. Lord God, we thank you that you are gentle and lowly. That you are quick to enter into where where we are so that we don't have to hold up any pretense, so that we might be freed from trying to establish our own foundation, so that we might stand instead on your character, your love, and your sacrifice. It's in name that we pray. Amen. As we prepare our hearts, let's sing how deep the Father's love how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His How great the pain of searing loss The Father turns His face away As a wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to
our words of institution from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where the apostle says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So at this point, you'll take your tiny cup and peel the plastic off the top. We can take and eat together. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You can now peel the top. Take that as well. Let's pray together. Lord God, again, we thank you for who you are and for the ways that that enables us to be who we are in freedom. Sinners saved by grace. Broken people striving for growth. People made in your image, but humbled and fallen. Dependent on you, and yet nonetheless equipped to enter into this life and seek to offer your goodness to the whole world around us. Not as, a source, as sourced by ourselves, but as those billboarding your presence, lifting up high your glory. To say, Jesus Christ has made even me whole. Jesus Christ is the one who has given even me rest. Jesus Christ is the one who has welcomed me, a sinner and a sufferer, home to live with him. It's in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please join us in our last song here as well. Hope in life and death.
benediction coming from Romans chapter 15 verse 5 and following may the God of endurance hang on winds a little much right now may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. You may go in peace.